Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I am JR. And I'm Molly. And you're here today. I am. Yay. I am. You're back. I'm here in body. Was the trip <laughs> was the trip awesome? The trip was a lot of fun. You'll have to recap us on this show or maybe the next there's, one. Or... There's really not a ton to recap except I went to Idaho to teach help on a Canavox teaching team for a classical school that wants to introduce that wants to figure out how to help parents and schools because they feel the parents and schools are not doing a good job even though it is their job of talking to their kids about all of the the milieu of sexual identity issues going around in our world today and if any of you guys out there into the classical education model they talk about the trivium which is when kids are ages is zero to eight approximately you emphasize things that are good true and beautiful and and then you start developing coaching them into critical thinking skills and I think a lot of the parents there had not spent much time contemplating even the good true and beautiful and they were just kind of like look our kids are in this Christian school they're in a bubble why do we need to get out why do we even need to talk about these things and in fact, the head my headmaster for the, this panel that I was on made that point. He said there are parents, probably not the parents who are in the audience here tonight because they want to engage, but other parents out there who haven't come tonight who who are wondering why we need to address transgender issues and all these other LGBTQ issues with our kids <coughs> because <coughs> excuse me because. We don't, we're not faced with that stuff. And first of all, yeah, yeah, you actually are because your kids go to the grocery store and your kids check books out of libraries or maybe they don't. Maybe they have a perfect classical school library there. But, uh, but also I was like, do you want your kids to live in your basement forever? At some point, your kids are going to leave the bubble and you need to not only equip them to deal with these things, encounter these things, and I kind of made a crack about, as a good 90s kid, True Love Waits, which was something that my youth group did. We all signed a card and we all got purity rings from our parents and we had this ceremony saying we weren't going to have sex until we were married. And I, fairly sizable church that I did that at, and I would be surprised if more than 20 of the kids I was in youth group with, very surprised if more than 20, moderately surprised if more than a dozen still held a biblical sexual ethic. Yeah, interesting. Well, before we get too much farther down that road, let's... Uh, oh, we didn't some, even do our intro Let's thing? throw out some introductions. Um, so two things following up on that, first of all. Welcome. If you've never been here before, we talk about <laughs> sex a lot. We talk about sex. We talk about food. We talk about parenting. We talk about... Uh, uh, Christian living. We cultural talk about issues. cultural issues. We talk about How travel. Life is hard, and people are weird and hard to get along with. We talk about music. You mentioned Trivium, very good metal band. If you guys are metalheads, I'm a big fan of Trivium. Um, I was actually more, and so we have four kids, ages 12, 10, 8, and four, and we homeschool and live in Montana. Um, and so I was, um, I was actually more. The recap I really wanted was, how was life without your children for a day and a half and a night? Oh, it was delightful. Yeah, there you go. It was really relaxing. 
It's just nice to not have anybody complaining at you, uh, needing things from you, to not have to feed anybody, to not have to clean up after anybody. Uh, I did... I flew to Seattle, and my flight back from Seattle was so turbulent, I spent about 30 minutes throwing up, which was pretty oh, miserable. Uh, and that, I kind of felt hungover from being so airsick the next day. But, no, it was it was great on all sorts of levels, and I was teaching with smart, fun people. You know, there's something deeply refreshing about being with really smart, fun people. That's all. Oh, that's awesome. No, I mean, I, I, I was trying to, part of me was like, could I turn this into a big theological point? And I probably could, but I think everybody out there just knows. There's something really refreshing about, especially in our culture, where there's so many negative people and there's so much online interaction that you just develop this distorted view of what interaction with other real people is like and what real humor that's not a meme is like and just being in the presence of people who enjoy life and are comfortable in their own skin is deeply refreshing to your soul relationships in real life are always better than uh the fictional world so uh to continue the introductions as you've noticed we typically just kind of talk and ramble frequently uh, not necessarily this week because Molly and I uh, spent an overnight and a weekend away by ours. Well, a single overnight and a day and a half by ourselves together at a hot springs. Um, so not necessarily this week, but frequently these conversations are our opportunity to catch up with each other. So and we and we, we can are... update each other on each other's lives on live radio. Well, not live, but live enough. Live enough that. <clears throat> Who's it, Tracy? The other day was like, "Yeah, I sent some tension in that conversation." <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. We are a real deal. We are a real deal. Um, probably more real than reality TV. That is not actually real at all. No, reality TV is not real at all. They just they stage everything and they put together. Somebody's like, I was having a conversation. Uh, it was Monday. It was Tuesday night. I was up at the beer stube after work. You guys, I ski patrol in the wintertime, or at least I am this winter, and um, spend three days a week up there on the mountain ski patrolling. And uh, I was up at the bar. We were talking about a reality TV show, and I don't remember which one. It was like Alone and Survival or something like that, one of those Alone Survival shows. And the bartender was like, oh, I would be terrible for that show. I can't start a fire. I hate being alone. And I'm like, you were the first person they would cast. They would for sure cast someone <laughs> like that. Exactly for those You would reasons. absolutely get on the show. I just saw an Instagram. It was, I'm trying to think of the context. It was probably from some conservative Instagram talking about how terrible this is. But there is a, a MILF show. If you're familiar with the phrase MILF, it's actually used in the title of the show. I'm not going to repeat that don't phrase repeat because it. generally I don't mark the show so as it's explicit. A cougar, We've had some, but it's a cougar, you know, older women with younger men show. And the catch is the the they get the lineup of women and the young men who are like supposed to figure out which of these older women they want to date are the sons of all the women on the show. And they don't, none of them know that until they line them up to the introduction thing. 
Like, so do some of the sons pick their own mothers? Oh, I I don't know. I just saw the preview. That's super weird. I just saw the preview for it. I'm sure the sons don't pick their mothers. They're all horrified when they realize how they've been set up. And just the level of degradation that our culture is at. And I'm thinking about the people who, every now and then, JR looks at our stats, and there's a handful of people who are not in America who listen to us. I, I assume And I've, I've asked on the show. Who, and people you know, haven't who are, responded. And I was like, who are you? Send but me a maybe you just have a really good, a really good, what is it? How you hide where you're logging on from? VPN. Yeah. Maybe they just have really good VPNs. That's true. That's true, too. I have a terrible time shopping online when I'm using our VPN because it's like, we can't deliver this to the old you're Navy using, if you're Maryland using, tonight. If you're using Safari, <laughs> they've got their private relay set up, which acts as essentially a, a good VPN. Now, it doesn't block traffic from other apps on your computer, so there's that difference. I, Just Safari. I don't know what you're talking about. You have a VPN on our home computer, I do, though. and that's for everything you do on your computer. Right, all I'm Email saying is apps, when I log on to apps, our home computer, yeah. I can't get an accurate read on like the Home Depot that I'm trying to see if they have X, Y, or Z. Oh, I never do, and I don't want to. It's always like Salt Lake or Denver or LA or something. Right. It's fine with me. Um, Okay, so two, only really two things on my mind right now, and I have a dinner date with some other ladies. You guys, Molly is living minutes. a life outside of I'm the house. I'm living a life outside and the house. You don't understand. She's a massive introvert. It's it's. I, is it easier for you to just stay at home and read it's, a book than to go out? It's like it's just more easier fun. for me to not create more work for myself and more drama for myself. You saw the drama of me leaving Faith at home with you this morning when I took the big kids skiing. Very dramatic. There's a lot of drama that goes along with all of the kids whenever I try to do anything that even slightly deviates from our norm. In fact, there's a lot of drama when I don't deviate from the norm. I don't have the capacity for extra drama. But I would like to get to know this group of women, and so I'm going out for drinks and dinner with them in 45 minutes, so this will be a show with a... Very definitive endpoint. I'm gone. Yeah. Um. So the other night, Jay, you guys, I do what I do. Ninety eight percent of our grocery shopping, probably every now and then, I'll send Jr. to a yep. store with well, a list with a very few specific things that I want him to pick up. But I have a pretty good. I keep pretty good tabs on how much I'm spending every week, and kind of have a mild panic attack at how much it goes up, even when I'm buying the same things. <laughs> I don't deviate a whole lot from what I buy every week. Although I will say this. Uh, with JR reading the book Steak, which we've talked about, and just some other things that I've been learning and reading and thinking about with regard to our health, I have decided to de-emphasize vegetable consumption in our home. And... By that, I don't mean that we're not eating vegetables because I actually really like vegetables. I love the flavor and the texture and the variety that they bring to a meal. I also think that prepared well, they're delicious and they're very good oh, for you. Homemade leeks that are buttered and sauteed and basically just caramelized are the most amazing vegetable on the planet. I, I don't actually 100% agree with you because I can off the top of my head rattle off half a dozen other vegetables that I absolutely oh, sure. I'll love. take leeks any day of the week prepared that way. My 
my over and Im- above all other vegetables. My immediate thought is those roasted carrots that I made all summer that have the cumin on them and the mm-hmm. goat cheese and the lemon zest. Fantastic. Yeah, no, anyway, but they don't beat leeks. I don't know. Maybe they're they really do. good. This but is like just a bears beat beets moment. They just don't. Like the leaks we, are hey, we are all individuals and entitled to our know, own opinions. I'm just, and this is my own opinion. I, I have decided that if it's a choice at a meal between urging a child to eat vegetables or fruit, fruit is actually easier for our bodies to digest, and has a ton of minerals in it that are m- more readily bioavailable yep. to our body. From what I've been learning, and so Same I've thing been. I've been reading. I've been encouraging our kids. I've been setting out fruit at almost every breakfast, at least, and then leaving. For example, I'll fill a bag, a a bowl with frozen cherries from Costco. And some of the kids like to eat the frozen cherries right out of the freezer. And some of them don't like them at all. Let's be honest. And some of them will eat them after they've melted and drink the juice from the bowl. So I'll do like the other morning we had waffles and I had a bag of frozen raspberries, a bag of frozen blueberries and a bag of fro- or a bowl, I mean from the Costco size bags, and a bowl of frozen so it black blueberries did I say that and raspberries and cherries. And if I find a good price on fresh pineapple or oranges or apples, I've just been incorporating a lot more fruit into our and diets. And as I've gotten older, I've just deliberately tried to change my palate or train my palate or whatever to start liking some of these things like pineapple I've historically not liked. So anyway, yeah, I'm I'm not going to try to change your palate. I've got four no, I'm not asking you to change. I'm not asking in. you to change my palate. I'm letting our listeners know that I'm trying to deliberately uh, change I my will palate just for the benefit of everything. to our listeners that I don't like bananas. I try one banana a year. I used to not even like banana bread. I eat banana bread now because I make it a lot of it when it goes bad. But where I was going with that is our grocery shopping, my grocery shopping habits have changed a little bit as I'm trying to incorporate more fruit into our diets. But otherwise, for the last couple of years, I have have a pretty good understanding of what to buy and try to keep our grocery budget from spiraling into the abyss, which it feels it's like, like it's doing anyway. All of that to say, mm-hmm. the other night... JR and his brother, who are, who is visiting from Seattle because he happens to have work here in town, were sitting down for a late night snack because the brother had just flown in. And JR was like, why don't we need crackers to go with this cheese? Which it was the black of the Why do you make Beecher's me sound cheese. snotty? I wasn't being okay, snotty. Okay, you say, you say it in the tone that you said it in. I don't know what's on. I said, man, man, you're super sweet. Oh, I just kind of want some crackers. I love crackers. I love crackers with my. I do. I love crackers with my cheese. Crackers with my cheese is awesome. I don't disagree with you. To which I said, a box of wheat thins these days costs five dollars. And I don't even know that because I don't buy wheat thins. And I actually am not sure of that because I haven't tracked the price of crackers since it went off of the what I'm willing to pay for something that I have Uh, to buy two of to feed my family. Anyway, we all look of up that, wheat thins at Walmart. Okay, all of right that now, to say the other thing I've stopped buying, which makes me a little bit whoa, sad. whoa. Walmart has the party size at five ninety eight. The regular size, well, they've it's between four sixty holy buckets. What is so great about these? These are twelve fifty. 
an eight and a half ounce box. Wheat Thins Original Whole Grain Wheat Crackers. Is it multi-pack? $12.50. There's something going on. It's either a multi-pack or... No, they're normal. Okay, remember... Well, these are four sixty-eight. dollars I don't know. Okay, Walmart sometimes has glitches. Remember the time I bought a lifetime supply of suckers? Because I thought a bag was a couple... I bought three bags for a couple dollars each, and they were bags of 300 Yeah, here's a family size for $16.48. So uh, you're looking at like... Yeah, you're right about five bucks. Good job. Yeah, so, so... Remember the Price is Right, where they just... What's this cost? Oh, my gosh. The Price is Right Inflation Edition. So, anyway, all that to say, I don't buy crackers because for a family of six that really likes crackers with their cheese, because they all take after their dad, it would be $10 for a snack session for cheese and crackers. So, I do, however, occasionally make crackers... And so I whipped up some sourdough crackers last night to go with our chicken salad that I made for our ski lunch today. And oh, I should have had some of that with that cheese. Oh, that'd be good. Well, there's a whole bunch left. I know. I just didn't think about it. Now my dad's doing like some meat for dinner. You can have so. it as an appetizer. Have some bacon, bourbon, fig oh, jam. I terrible. My daughter, Faith, came down at one point about an hour before we got home and said, Dad, I'm hungry. I was like, okay, I'll be up in a minute to make you a snack. And it was just so buried in what I was doing. She's been hanging out with your mom the rest of the day. I'm oh, sure she's, she's fine. Snacks. I'm yeah. sure she's fine. Yeah. Anyway, I am going, I will send JR the sourdough cracker recipe. That way, not only is it all fantastic ingredients that you're confident in, but it's also sourdough, which means that it's more digestible for you and very frugal. It's literally sourdough starter, flour olive oil, salt, and you mix, you knead it. It's it's a moderately stiff dough. Then you let it rest, and then you roll it out, and I roll it out with my noodle roller on my KitchenAid, so it's consistently nice and thin. And then wash it with an egg wash and put some, whatever seasoning you want on it, but I put bagels, everything bagel seasoning on it. and And then you just bake it. And they're delicious. The kids all love them. And they're super healthy. And it did not cost $10 for a box of crackers. So anyway, if anybody's interested in feeling fancy, you could, like, mix some rosemary into the dough and have some rosemary, sea salt, olive oil, crackers. I would like just, I would like a batch of crackers that are just, like, sea salt. That would be really good. I mean, everything seasoning, bagel seasoning is okay. But. I can do that. I'd just like to try it I, I can take special requests. I'm an original guy, though. I'm like the most boring cracker and chip person on the planet. I'm like, I'll have potato chips, please. Or I just want the salted ones. I don't want them flavored. You don't so like, do salted. you like crinkled or just plain? I'll take crinkled. I'll take crinkled, but I want them like just... Just salt. Just potato and salt, yeah. I, it depends on my mood. Sometimes they're really thin, wafery ones that just almost, they're super crispy, but then they just melt in your mouth because they're so thin. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Well, as long as they're just straight, regular salted flavor and not like, you know, uh, I don't know, anchovy and garlic or the something. The only other flavor I like <clears throat> is barbecue. And the... Barbecue is one of my least favorites. Like if I have I a choice between like, like barbecue. sour cream and onion, like nacho cheese... Uh, barbecue and 
salt and vinegar, like barbecues gonna be on the last. And then there's our son who liked, likes the salt and vinegar ones. Yeah, Where buddy. did that come from? You just said know. you don't like them. Oh, I like salt and vinegar. I don't like oh. barbecue. Oh. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in making some homemade crackers because you want to feel fancy or you feel cheap, we'll have that recipe available. Heck yeah. Um, I've been really bad about putting stuff on our blog recently. Yeah, because we're was... really busy. It, you guys, it's 5 o'clock... 5.20 on a Friday night, and we're recording this just for you. Just for you guys. Um, So the only other thing that I really have stored up to talk about, I'm going to pull this article up that I sent to JR not too long ago. This is from a Gospel Coalition piece, and I'm not sure why it caught my eye, because I don't read a ton of things that come through the Gospel Coalition these days. But this is called, What Are Theologians For? The Case of Karl Barth's Adultery. And uh, people in the United States have always had very mixed feelings about Karl Barth anyway, at least in my experience. I'd never even heard of him until I went off to seminary at the age of 22. And there were people at my seminary who absolutely loved him and people who absolutely hated him. And if you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. The main case is he was a theologian who was hugely influential on uh, theology in, now I'm going to Google, uh, when was Karl Barth? And it's Barth. It's not Barth, even though it's spelled Barth, because he's German, just so you guys know. Um, he was born in 1886 and died in 1968. I think he overlapped. I remember reading when I was reading the Bonhoeffer um, biography. He Bonhoeffer had a, quite a few interactions and overlap with Bart. Mm -hmm. So he's actually Swiss, but his name is German. He influenced many significant. This is Wikipedia now. If you want to believe what you read on the internet, he influenced many significant theologians like Bonhoeffer, and then that lists a bunch of others, some of whom are names like Cohn and Boltmann which I'm saying with my eyebrow raised. Uh, the What caught my eye is this article. He Okay, backing up. There's always been questions swirling in the air around Bart about if he had an adulterous relationship with his assistant. And everybody said, has always known it was weird. But there was no concrete proof that it was adulterous. And by weird, I mean she lived with his family and is buried in the family grave plot next to his wife. Sort of weird. And traveled with him, but literally lived in his home while he was Something that wouldn't kids. fly in, Billy in Graham the 2020s. Well, I mean, it would fly. Culture. Yeah, I mean, it obviously would fly because it has flown. But... The a, a series of letters were found or released or something that pretty much confirmed, yes, they had a very long-standing adulterous affair. And as the article says, the ongoing romantic affair has be become incontrovertible. What's interesting in this TGC piece that I've been mulling over a ton, though, is, a, is, is the question, does it matter to his work as a theologian 
does the fact that he was the was he was ethically compromised in a deep deep way impact how we should read his work the same goes as i'm just sitting here thinking the same goes if you think of a rabbi zacharias does the fact that he was a you know abusing women and you know going to massage parlors and all the things that came out after he died that it seemed like the board swept under the rug does that it for sure sorry your crocs are squeaking they are my bad it for sure impacts how people think about him and especially in this post me too culture Ravi Zacharias Ministries, which had great potential to continue on because they had this whole cadre of incredible apologists and theologians who were teaching under that umbrella. And they sort of all had to, you know, if you pick up a rock, the bugs under it all flee to their next hiding place. I get that picture of all these. They're not bugs. (laughs) They're good theologians. They're good men. And teachers, but they all kind of had to scatter because being associated with his name was going to be terrible for their reputation and their ongoing ministry. But does the fact that Zacharias was so morally compromised influence how we read what he did? And there, there are people now who are asking the question of Bart. Does the fact that he was so morally compromised impact how we read the huge body of theological works that he has put out and that continue to influence people today? And in this TGC article, he makes the case that, yes, we should read his work with an eye to or with being mindful of the fact that he was morally compromised And this is what has really impacted me. And then I keep mulling over. He goes to the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there's, it actually, I almost chimed in with this statement on the Telegram channel that we have like three major discussions ago. I can't even remember what the discussion that made me think of it was. But, but the idea of, You know, we we don't, we're all, you know, if you're a person who reads the Westminster Catechism, original sin corrupts our whole nature, including our minds and how we understand things and how we think about things. For sure, how we understand who God is and what he's done and our relationship to God in the world is that that is not what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, is it that we, we can't see God until we are pure in heart? Because then none of us can, but God calls us, he cleans our hearts, and then we struggle with ongoing sin for the rest of our lives. But I would say that to, to the degree that we can here on earth, we do, we don't see God, but we understand who God is. We learn about him in his word. I don't know. I've just been... You feel like the article conclusion is about a half step off? I don't, actually. I don't feel like the article... Because he... I said a half step, not a whole step. No, he actually brings some some proof for it. 
which is that, um, so he asks the question, how might his high-handed and habitual unfaithfulness have influenced his theological contemplations? And he very explicitly says, this isn't an exercise in the fashionable tendency to cancel theologians from the past in the spirit of self-righteousness. But he then says, um, in correspondence with his mistress, he says, a strange consequence of our quote-unquote experience, meaning his adulterous affair with this woman, will be that my seminar this summer about the recent history of theology will turn out to be much more lenient, merciful, and cautious than it would have been the case otherwise. So he's literally saying, I don't, and, and I have actually heard women say this out of their mouths in the last 10 years. I can't believe that God would want me to be so unhappy in this marriage. The God that I serve and that I know loves me wants me to be happy. Therefore, he he was not only okay with me leaving this marriage, he's, he's, he's good with me. He wants me to pursue what's going to lead to my personal happiness and fulfillment. And so, I mean, here we have this tremendously influential and well-respected theologian basically saying the same thing. And he, the article goes on, Bart would even go so far as to justify his sin theologically. At one point, he says to his mistress in this correspondence, it cannot just be the devil's work. It must have some meaning and a right to live that we know I will only talk about me, that I love you and I do not see any chance to stop this. So, and then this is the author of the article again. According to Bart, the pious option was to remain in this tension between the revealed commands of God's word and the assumed ordination of God in his love for his mistress. It couldn't possibly be that God intended for him to deny his affections for a woman who wasn't his wife, even though that's clearly what, what scripture teaches. So he, he concludes that God has purposes for him in this tension. And he that influences the theological works that he writes and that have trickled down and continue to influence American theologians to this day. And he, so I, I guess I just, I'm really, I've really been contemplating and I was convinced enough by the article that this is an appropriate application of Matthew 5, 8, that the pure in heart will see God. And with his heart being deliberately and in a sustained way, you know, it's sort of in the way that Paul tells the Corinthians, don't associate with blatant sinners who carry on in their sin, even after they're called on it. He, he continues in that way. And in that way, he does not see God accurately. He has a distorted vision of who God is. And essentially he's remaking God in his own image. But I've just been thinking what other applications in our life does that particular beatitude apply to? That blessed are the pure in heart. I guess I've never really thought about that beatitude. Is I, well, thing. I think it, the easy application would be any sin in your life that you're excusing and or making uh, excuses for or 
just not confessing, letting fester and just sit and just you you ignore it, those types of things. Um, any sin in your life would then have a similar effect to um, to your understanding of God, theology. Would distort and the how Bible. you read scripture and yeah, how I you mean, approach let's, God. You know, let's, like, we're lay people, but let's say you have a pastor who's dealing with something like that and doesn't. Would his preaching suck? Would his decisions stink? Um, you have church leaders in those situations. You have, uh, for us as people, you know, I'm, I, you know, we study the Bible as a family. We're constantly counseling our kids um, how to handle the world and their relationship with God in that, God's relationship with us and all that. And that can be distorted by sin in our lives as well. So, I mean, the simple answer is like, if that's, if that holds true, any sin in our life can and will distort what we understand about God and then our, our outward actions, which makes, I mean, that makes sense. Um, so two follow-on questions from that. One is, how do we, how do we approach God then with certainty? Kind of some of the Telegram discussion did go to that with questions about what are the jewels in the crown? Oh, it was, was it Maggie or Rachel who was asking about a passage in Revelation where God says, I know your works. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was Maggie. And, um... And that's that's where the link was for me was this question of we we are aren't fooling ourselves that we are sinless and that we have shed all of the sinful both the result of being finite people in a fallen world and being sinners in that fallen world all of these things influence how we understand scripture and how we think about God. It's hard. I was wondering at what point do we draw the line of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and you don't see God. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I think the right answer is to always be searching your heart and living a life of constant repentance and studying God's word in the most faithful way that you can while also understanding that Paul says we see through a mirror dimly right now. We don't, we can't necessarily think that we are going to get it all right about God. Well, that's, you kind of answered your other question too. Yeah, that's how to, true. How to, how do we approach God with certainty? Well, we approach God with certainty through Christ's sacrificial uh, purchasing of our sin. And or the taking of our punishment, like that's how we approach God with certainty. We can't do it. I think just this morning I was reading in my devotion about uh, one of the prayers was about how just um, uh, how sinful we are and how we just we can't do anything with a pure motive, even if we want to. And you know. I I also see it as a as a reminder that you know these uh, well changing topics a little bit. Um, you're asking like the whole Carl Bart thing is asking the question is like does your sin invalidate your ministry at that point? Is everything you've done since that point completely invalidated because you were in sin? Mm -hmm. Did Rob just is Ravi because Ravi Zacharias went through his issues? Does that invalidate 
everybody in the background. Does that everybody who was <clears throat> blessed by his ministry right. does that somehow invalidate anybody who what was, they received? Anybody from him? who was led to the Lord. Anybody you know, we have another friend who uh was married to a guy who ran a ministry here in town and he ran off with, you know, someone and does does that mean for all we knew for all we knew he had a thriving ministry. Um but does that invalidate every salvation, every person that was led to the Lord, everybody who found Christ through his work, everybody? I don't think so. Um, so, in, you know, so in terms of your article and his conclusions, yeah, I mean, we can keep in mind that as we're reading it, we're not reading scripture. But that's like, where, that's where I landed on yeah. this thing. It's like, this isn't Christ. Right. We can read scripture understanding that there's no background or life issue that has been recorded in history um, where Jesus fell into some sort of sin and that tainted what he taught or what he did. It just didn't happen. And these theologians, on the other hand, like I know a lot, I know some people who just sometimes I feel like they study theologians more than they study scripture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're really smart, but they're not Christ. And you know, on that note, too, it also it also creates another uh, difference between Jesus and a subsequent prophet who also uh, experienced the word of you God. You say prophet with yeah. quotation marks. Joseph Smith. Oh. Uh, Muhammad. Uh, I mean, a, a lot well, of the. I other, mean, there's a big you know, difference so, I mean, between those guys and a Carl Barth, though, because he's right. actually interacting with the scriptures where they're adding to. But no, I get just backtracking a little bit. I think there's a little bit of difference between someone like Bart, whose ministry was in writing commentaries and expositing what God's word means to other people and someone who, I mean, even like a Ravi Zacharias, where if you were convinced of the veracity of God's word through his ministry and then formed your own relationship with Christ through that. And there's a there's a difference there, I think, because you're you're not learning. You're then mm. launching your own relationship. Where with Bart, you can see in his writings to his mistress, he's saying, "I'm actually changing how I'm thinking about God and His Word and His justice and His holiness and what He expects of His people," because <laughs> I. I can't imagine that I love you so much. I can't imagine that this isn't somehow part of God's good plan for me. Oh uh, yeah, I I can see. And I so then he's that. he's yeah. soft peddling God's character, his holiness, because he himself can't isn't measuring up to be holy as I am holy, but in the deliberate way. I mean, not in the way that we all say, of course, we, we're not holy as, as he is holy, but you have to be willing to repent of sin that you're aware of in order to stand before God. And so that's the, I mean, there's, I think there's a little bit of a difference there between someone whose ministry is in the written word, explaining what God's character and what his actions in redemptive history mean for you versus someone who calls you to to believe and then launches you into your own relationship with God, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I mean, sense. ideally makes, speaking, totally that's, makes sense. that's what they're doing, right? But yeah. I think you have a really good point, though, that 
we need to submit ourselves to the word of God and consult outside sources, yes, for help under- understanding things, but but I'm just as I'm talking, I'm getting excited and convicted about the fact that of no other piece of writing does God say this goes out and doesn't return empty to you. This is sharper than any double-edged sword and I accomplish what I want to accomplish through the Holy Spirit by you reading my direct words to you. So there's something that we need to get into our own souls as well as encourage those in our spheres, whether it's our kids or people that we're in Bible studies with or whomever, that there is truly something special about actually reading God's word to you and immersing yourself in God's word to the point where he can change you through it because that is the primary way right now that God communicates with us and changes us and to not set that aside in favor of daily devotionals or, and I say that in a kind of patronizing way, but I, I love me a good daily devotional and am less good at this phase in my life about being in God's word. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to get you started on anything else tonight because you need to go have dinner with ladies and that's important. (laughs) Relationships are important. No, I have one more article that I just... Oh. No, no, no. It goes... I tried. I tried. I when you, you show did. up late and you're like, I shouldn't talk so much. I'm no, like, well, it goes with that. And look, it's only quarter to six. It, it goes with that because I read another article in Desiring God today and it talked about Francis Schaeffer. And he actually had a really deep crisis of faith right after he moved his family to Europe. And he'd been in this very separatist hardcore, hardcore started their own seminary, started their own denomination because they felt like Westminster Seminary was not rigorous enough in expecting faithfulness from people. And he got to, to Europe where he'd moved his family and just had this big crisis going, why am I not actually enjoying God? Why is there no joy why is there no love in my relationship with him and he spent literally spent two months pacing and reading the bible and like calling himself an agnostic and that impacted the rest of his life and ministry in a very deep way so i guess what made me want to he's the he's the contrasting person to bart where he had this very rigorous uh, theology and he sought so hard to see God in his theology that it kind of wrecked him and it rebuilt him in a person that many of us have been impacted and love his writings, love who he was, love what he accomplished for Christianity in that sphere in that season of life. So I think he's another person to think about his life and his ministry through the lens of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. He was very much somebody who wanted to align his moral, his morals and his moral life with 
what he believed to be true in scripture enough that that dissonance actually caused a crisis of faith. And then when he resolved Mm. it, he lived a very deeply pious and passionate life. So what you're saying is when we need, when we're feeling distant from God, we need to dive in that much more. No, I'm saying we need to move to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, And, and you know, the flow down from that is when you're feeling distant from your wife or your spouse, or your children move in more, move to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants to eat some of that delicious Italian food. No. Um, what would we do in Europe? I don't know. We could I, move I to know. Europe, I guess. We, we could travel in I'd Europe. I don't our, think I'm... It'd make both of our parents quite I'm, sad, I think. I'm, I'm hairy and smelly enough. I might fit in in Europe, but otherwise, in terms of culture and stuff i'm not sure i'd fit in there no i think you're right though when we are feeling distant from god to put a a happier not snarky bow on things when you're feeling distant from god or if you're feeling uh god's disapproval or you're sensing dissonance between your life and your actions and what god says and who god is don't try to reconcile that by changing who god is dive into his word where he has told you who he is and humbly submit yourself to the transforming power of his word rather than making excuses for yourself. I instantly thought of the emergent church. Okay. That's a whole nother. <laughs> now I really got to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, I want to say thank you to all of you who called in with voicemails last week. I do have some stickers to send out. I will get those out uh, to those of you that gave me addresses. Um, one of you called and left a message and just didn't even give me a name. So that's fine. I'm cool with that. Um, if you want, uh, if you'd like a sticker, you know, go ahead and hit me up and send me your address. And um, anyway, get, I'll get those out. If you want to order a sticker for yourself, people are weird and hard. They're only $3. They're perfect for your uh, water cup, coffee flask, uh, whiskey flask, if you, if you drink whiskey. Um, computer, laptop, you know, they're not really good for a car, um, but they're good for a locker door, you know, or something like that. So you can order those on our website, www.toobusytoflushallgrammaticallycorrect.com. Toobusytoflush.com. While you're there, scroll all the way down. You'll find us. Send us a postcard. You can type in a message and shoot us a postcard. We'll, we'll get that. And, um, if you, uh, want to join the telegram group we've been talking about i'll include a link in the show notes it's a private group made up of uh uber listeners i don't know just a cool community of people that when we talk about everything well we we had a rousing discussion like two days ago before i even had my coffee i was like oh my word that was yesterday i was like this is just this is heavy um Anyway, and there's also really light conversation too. So it's kind of fun. Join that if you're so inclined. If you're not, no big deal. Please uh, rate us on iTunes. That's always huge. Leave us a review. Leave others a review. Share us with your friends. Um, and I want to I thank... <laughs> oh, man. I want to thank Jeff for sharing us with, uh, with a date uh, one time. <laughs> and he got the uh, digestive system episode and said it was awkward and both it was both it was awkward. a first date it was a first date and it was both awkward and hilarious so uh jeff that's when you know whether or not they're the right person can they stomach 
awkward and hilarious. Unlike Will, just... who bonded with his wife over the What Your Poo Says About You book. Exactly. Right? Oh, man. She's the one. She's the one. This is the book. We both find it funny. It's kind of like Molly and I. We find she just found humor in absolutely everything in life, which cracked me up. So. That was before I had kids and was old and cranky. You're not old and cranky all the time. You have changed since we've had kids, though. But then so have I. So that's just what happens. You go through life and you change. Your circumstances shape you. People around you shape you. You morph to those things. And we obviously want to change to be better human beings, better people, be more like Christ, all the good things. So anyway, I'll stop talking now. Um, and do you have anything else you want to add? That it? That's it. Okay. All right. We'll see you guys next week.